Hello and welcome to Nursing Sound Reports, a podcast offered by the Iowa Board of Nursing. My name is Laura Hudson. I'm an Associate Director for the Board of Nursing and I'll be your host. My guest today is Doug Bartles. Doug is the Chief Investigator and Associate Director of Enforcement for the Board of Nursing and he's going to talk to us today about an enforcement overview and I want to welcome you, Doug. Good morning. Thank you. Doug, can you tell us a little bit about your history with the board? How long have you worked here, your background? I have been with the board for 17 years. I spent the first nine years as an investigator, and I've been the chief investigator the last eight years. My background is in law enforcement. That law enforcement history has helped you as you've gone through the investigative process here with the board and gives you a good idea about what happens in the criminal in the criminal investigation system. Would you say that? Definitely. So we're very fortunate to have Doug with the board and have that bring that background to the investigative process that we'll be talking about today. So Doug, let's do as a reminder uh, who the board is. So sometimes the board of nursing gets confused with the nursing association. So let's just be really clear for our audience who the board of nursing is. The, the board is comprised of seven people appointed by the governor, five are nurses, and two represent the public. And sometimes the board is also referred to to address our 24 state workers who work here in the office, issuing licenses and regulating enforcement. So those are the board staff? The board staff, right. yeah. So the board staff and the board are the ones who regulate the nurse licensees in the state. The IBON is considered the big board, so we have 64,000 licensees that we're responsible for. So what is it that nurses need to know about the board that's important to them? The, the board is a regulatory agency. We are not an advocacy agency, so we do provide oversight and regulation to protect the public. Uh, the nurses are responsible to know the rules and regulations that govern them. And these are found in Iowa Administrative Code sections 147, 55, and 655, Chapter 4, and also in sections 152.10 and 272C. So that's a lot of regulations for the nurse licensees to learn about. But what is the ultimate overarching mission of the board? The board's mission is to protect the public. That's the short version. We protect the public health, safety, and welfare by regulating the licensure, practice, and education of nurses. I'm the Associate Director of Continuing Education and Workforce, whereas you are the Associate Director of Enforcement. So you get to deal with things like criminal convictions, Doug. What is it that nurse licensees have to do once they have a criminal conviction? Licensed nurses must report their criminal convictions within 30 days of final court resolution, and that does include deferred judgments. It also includes operating while intoxicated. There's a misunderstanding um, out there that if it's an OWI, it's only traffic, and that is not accurate. There's a criminal component to that. Also, we hear from licensees, my lawyer told me this was not on my record anymore, so I don't need to report it. You do need to report it. Err on the side of safety. Even if you get a deferred judgment, it needs to be reported. So, Doug, if there's a question whether or not they should report something, it sounds like they should err on the side of of caution and report something. 
what happens in the cases of criminal convictions, et cetera, can affect a licensee's license. Is that right? It can. Uh, it depends on the criminal conviction, how recent it is, uh, the severity of it. Uh, so we look at every conviction individually to make a determination as to its potential for affecting the licensee's practice. What about licensees being denied applications uh, or acceptance of their application because of criminal convictions? We also require that all applicants report their criminal convictions before they receive their initial license, and that includes endorsing from another state. We look at those convictions. Uh, The board is very understanding that applicants may make mistakes, especially in their younger life, so they're fairly empathetic with regards to reviewing criminal convictions. However, there are several licenses each year who are uh, offered consent agreements, which are agreements that they will be granted a license, but perhaps put on probation for a period of time. The Board of Nursing rarely denies license applications, but has before. What would you say is the most common reason that a license is denied, Doug? The most common reason would be a substance abuse concern where the applicant has recent criminal convictions or we have other information to suggest that they may have a substance abuse concern that hasn't been addressed by successful completion of treatment or doesn't have any period of sobriety afterwards. Okay. So how do we find that all out? How do we find out that this is all going on. Can you tell me a little bit about the investigation process to determine all of this? Once we receive information about a criminal history or uh, other type of matter that needs to be looked into, it's assigned to an investigator who will contact the complainant in a case or if it's self-reported, will contact the licensee themselves and Uh, gather all the relevant information that can be obtained, speak to witnesses for determining whether probable cause exists. Doug, can you tell me about the common investigations that you see in your work with the board? We see a mix of practice complaints. We investigate quite a bit of drug diversion, prescription fraud, impaired on duty, crimes that occur off-duty, boundary violations, privacy violations, scope of practice concerns, patient abuse, failing to assess or accurately document, and a myriad of other concerns as well. Doug, it's obvious that you and your staff have a bunch of different variety of investigations that you might conduct. So once once that happens, what happens to nurses when they are these things are found to be true about the situation? Once the investigation is complete and the assistant attorney general assigned to the board as well as the board themselves has a chance to review the information, about half of all the cases we open are closed confidentially with no public action taken. The licensee may get a confidential letter of admonishment or education about the alleged violation. As far as public sanctions go, the minimum amount of remediation that a licensee can receive is what's called a citation and warning. That's a public reprimand 
that will stay on the licensee's permanent public discipline. The sanctions can go up from there to include a fine. Continuing education, a licensee can be placed on probation. They can be suspended. And then only at a hearing, the board can revoke a license. You'd consider the revocation the most serious sanction then that a licensee would have? Yes, a revocation is the most serious. Okay. So I know our audience is going to be definitely interested in this topic. And I would say I know that we, in the past, we have talked about to the INAP program about the, about the substance use that's, uh, that is prevalent in the general population, and that includes nurses. So how often would you say substance abuse is out there and contributing to problems for our nurses? What we see is that substance abuse contributes or is present in approximately half of all the cases we're involved in. We may open a case on a licensee for a practice-related concern, but we do run criminal history checks on all the licensees we investigate, and we might find that the licensee also has two OWIs that the board wasn't aware of. And so substance abuse manifests itself in uh, a great number of the cases we're involved in. Doug, while we're on the topic of substance abuse, I know that the changing landscape and news that you see concerns the use of marijuana. So let's talk about that a little bit. What does that look like for Iowa nurses when it per, as it pertains to the use of marijuana? Well, the board has a zero-tolerance stance on the use of marijuana by Iowa licensees and would remind the licensees that marijuana is still federally illegal in all of the states, and it is illegal in Iowa recreationally. So that brings to mind then the topic of CBD oil. And can you just talk about that a little bit, tell the audience about what the stance is about that? Well, CBD oil is legal in Iowa if obtained through a registration card from a authorized provider. There is a, a lot of CBD oil out there that is purchased over the counter, and the board um, refers to the attorney general stance on that, which reminds consumers that the true composition of the CBD oil that they're purchasing over the counter may not be accurate reflected on the ingredients of the CBD. Either way, the, if uh, someone is tested for cause or impaired on duty, CBD is not a, a shield from that. Uh, it's like uh, all other medication. It needs to be taken according to provider recommendations. So Doug, we could talk all day about substance abuse issues, but we need to move on for our audience and talk about other hot topics and fastest growing areas of complaints. So what would you say that is as it pertains to the fastest growing complaint area? Well, what we've seen in recent years, Laura, is that the privacy rights and confidentiality complaints have really increased as well as, and sometimes it has a nexus to social media in facilitating those confidentiality violations. If we're gonna talk about this a little bit, how about a story? Let's just, let's use an example of what a privacy right or confidentiality situation might be. One story that received national attention was uh, the Empire actor Jesse Smollett was uh, 
his records were accessed when he was at a Chicago hospital, which uh, led to over 50 employees of that hospital being fired. And what we've found is probably the most common reason that someone's patient records are looked up without an authorized reason to do so is curiosity. Just as a reminder for our audience, what is the name of the law that that deals with patient rights and confidentiality? That would be the HIPAA law that was enacted in 1996. And every everyone who's in healthcare is familiar with the HIPAA law. So it it basically is that you need to mind your own business. Unless you're involved in that direct patient care of that individual, you have no right to be looking up the records of that individual. Is that That's correct? That's correct, yes. And what would be the caution? How do we know How do we know about these situations? How is it we find out that someone has violated HIPAA? Well, the most of the health institutions these days are tracking and auditing who has access to a patient's records. And if there's a violation, that's often reported to us. That would come in in the, in the form of a complaint. That, that's correct. That something has happened. So, Doug, that's a great example about the situation in Chicago. The, those individuals obviously were tracked, audited, and then eventually that particular individual found out that his records had been accessed. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. The most common way we learn about privacy rights violations is from the employer who has been auditing, uh, who's accessing patient records. And in most of those cases, the patient is notified of their privacy being violated. They can ultimately access or get access to the person who accessed their information, and it can result in civil litigation. If it results in the civil litigation, we're, we're talking serious matters here. If a nurse thinks that, oh, I just, I'm just looking to see something on this patient record, it really can turn into a serious matter. We need to, we need to respect the, the fact that our patients deserve privacy. Now we're going to go to social media because that ends up being another place where we find out that nurses have done something, said something that is not following professional decorum, I guess is the term that I, I always think of when I think about social media violations. I know that is one of the things that we have seen come through in investigative cases more prevalent than in years past. Tell us a little bit about that, Doug. What about social media violations? Well, the uh, advent of the smartphone was a wonderful thing, but unfortunately, it also gave opportunity for texting Facebook sharing, and other ways of communicating information that perhaps shouldn't be communicated, such as uh, patient information. So nurses might not identify the patient, but there might be scenarios, right? They describe on a Facebook post that could still identify someone. Correct. And we have seen instances where nurses have commented on their work sh- their workload during a shift not made mention of a specific patient's name, but did share enough information about the patient themselves that their own co-workers knew exactly who they were talking about, and that would be a violation of patient privacy. Right, and I think in some of our prior, when we did our All Things Ibon and, and Kathleen B. Bout gave us some, some things about social media and boundaries and the like of we discussed it's probably just best if the nurses put their phones down on the floor, wouldn't you say, Doug? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. So do you have any you have any stories? And again, uh, for our audience's purposes, we just we want you to know we will never use exact situations. We will never use cases. Everything that we talk about in story format, the people have been changed, the situations have been changed. We are just giving examples. So Doug, do you have an example of um, of something you've heard of in social media that caused issues for a licensee? Yeah, we have lots of uh, stories like this. The one that uh, I, one I'd like to share just um, to help out licensees who may be listening is just because a patient gives you consent doesn't mean you should be taking photographs of them. And we've had cases where nurses have photographed themselves with patients and then shared it on their Facebook or their social media, and their intent was all friendly. However, um, in those cases, that is a violation of patient privacy, and it is up to the nurse to maintain that. We also, we did have a case uh, in the past where a uh, licensee's uh, boyfriend didn't believe she was actually working, and so she had to keep sending photos of her with patients in the background to uh, put her boyfriend's mind at ease. And this, of course, was a patient privacy violation. Right. Again, one of those cases put the phone down. We can't have a podcast in 2021 without mentioning COVID. So tell me some of the things that we've seen recently about COVID-related social media complaints. The uh, COVID-19 has uh, brought about uh, many different opinions on this topic And the First Amendment does grant an individual the right to express their opinion and free speech. But as far as licensees go, they are uh, more entitled to that on their own time, uh, commenting as a person than as a licensee. As a healthcare practitioner, licensees should be aware that they should not disseminate medical misinformation to the public and that the board um, could be uh, making an inquiry if they do that. And do you have any idea, like, how many cases we've had in the recent past about this? I think we've seen several dozen cases since COVID started up of uh, licensees, either on their own time or in other ways, sharing information or opinions about COVID-19 and treatment. Right. And this is an unprecedented area, so... It will play out, again, the board's decision, how they handle these situations, the board being the actual seven-member board, the decision-makers, how they, how they finalize or finish up these cases. Doug, as it pertains to the use of the violations of HIPAA, the patient rights, confidentiality, social media, probably the bigger topic is boundaries. And so I want to just talk about boundaries a little bit because when somebody does violate patient rights or someone does use social media, misuse social media to identify patients or or post misinformation that could be detrimental to the public, they are actually violating boundaries. Would you say, is that an accurate way to state that? It can be an overlap where there's a boundary violation because of uh, the patient privacy, correct? So what what about boundaries? Boundaries is another area that we investigate several times a year. Uh, We have uh, multiple complaints on this. 
Just a reminder that the nurse is responsible to maintain the proper boundaries with patients, even if the patient consents to or attempts to initiate a non-therapeutic relationship, it is up to the nurse to maintain professional boundaries. I think a boundary situation might be a, a place where a story would be helpful. Can you give some examples or stories where a boundary is violated? The most common boundary violations that we see are with licensees that are dating or romantically involved with a patient or former patient. We've had complaints where licensees have moved in with their patients in exchange for room and board. We've had licensees take patients shopping, manage their finances. Several cases where licensees have married the patient married the patient's son, sex with patient, uh, where the will has been changed. Um, and so those are all boundary violations in which the licensee should have maintained the proper barrier there. And what's the ultimate outcome in those situations? The uh, board views all the circumstances involved in each case individually. Usually they're is a three-day intensive education program that we send licensees to who violate boundaries uh, in this way. Sometimes there's a suspension. Sometimes there's a mental health evaluation required. And in the most serious cases, there uh, could be a revocation of license for this. So, Doug, once someone has the permanent public discipline about a boundary violation, right, that's actually someone... It could cause issues for employment for a nurse in other situations, right? Yeah, definitely. Any permanent public discipline will probably be looked at by prospective future employers as a consideration for future employment. It may not necessarily be an automatic rule out for hiring, but definitely a consideration. And what if a nurse has done this, realizes they've crossed a boundary? What, what should they do? What's recommended is that they inform their manager at the earliest sign of recognition that their boundaries may be getting blurred so that they can be reassigned to a different patient. So the licensee themselves, if they figure out they have violated a boundary, need to report that. What if I have observed that about someone else? You should report it. Licensees are actually required by statute to report any misconduct or suspected misconduct of other licensees. And can you give some examples of what that would look like? Well, with the boundary issue, we certainly have had coworkers report what they see their, um, their workers doing. And with other cases, too, one of the uh, complaints or complainants we commonly hear from our co-workers in various work lines that they think the licensee has violated one or more of the laws that regulate nursing. And that's where your staff comes in. They go ahead and they investigate what it is that someone has reported. Is that right? That's correct. Doug, as we've been talking about all of these various areas where nurses may end up in a, an investigative case, they can end up in permanent public discipline. And we know that nurses are required to report acts or omissions that they see by other licensees. 
over your course of 17 years working with the board, can you give some examples? If someone went to the permanent public discipline records, what kinds of things are they going to see in the files? If you access our permanent public discipline, which is on our website, you can read past cases. You can read findings of fact that follow from hearings. You can read statement of charges and stipulation and orders that have been past ways of resolving cases. And from these, you can certainly get an idea of where the board has taken issue with violations of the Regulatory Act and filed charges and seen it through to resolution where they ordered discipline. And it's a good learning tool for what not to do. We can learn from the mistakes of others. So, Doug, you give this presentation. You actually give a formal presentation to the schools of nursing and to uh, to individuals who are prospective licensees. If they went out and looked at public discipline, what kinds of what kinds of things would they find out there? There, they would see everything from administrative cases, things as simple as working on an inactive license, to not complying with continuing education, to boundary violations where licensees have married their patients to social media violations where licensees have shared confidential information. And we do have uh, a number of cases that are related to practice where scope was exceeded, where drugs are diverted, where prescriptions were illegally obtained. Those are the situations where, as a, as a nurse myself, it's unfortunate to see that happen to a fellow nurse, but also the real and realization that we see in this office. I, you know, as the podcast host for the Board of Nursing, it's, um, yours is one of the more serious topics, Doug, and I, I know that these are hard things to deal with, but they're very real and things that we need to um, inform our licensees that they should or should not do and again, we did mention earlier about the percentage or the our very high number of cases that have to do with substance use by the nurses themselves. And so I just want to use that to kind of segue into the reminder that we do have the Iowa Nurse Assistance Program. And can you just tell a little bit about what that is? And the Iowa Nurse Assistance Program is for licensees who may be struggling with substance abuse or mental health concerns and it's an alternative to discipline. If they qualify for the program, their discipline that would otherwise be public is kept confidential as long as they comply with the program. The website has a great deal of information about the program, and we do have two employees who are case managers with INAP who would be happy to answer any questions for anyone who might be considering this program. We do have four podcasts that are about the INAP program, and I would refer our listeners back to that if they haven't listened to that already. We have fit a lot into this short amount of time together today regarding the enforcement division of the Board of Nursing, and I guess probably the one semantic we haven't talked about is, so how does somebody file a complaint with the Board of Nursing and where they would end up in the investigative department? Our preferred way to receive a complaint is on our website. We have forms that are fillable, uh, and you can report actually online and submit them. 
we will accept any complaint in writing, but we do prefer our forms be filled out. Right. And we actually encourage that someone does it non-anonymously, right? Because we can do a lot better in an investigation if we have names and, and information included, would you say? Yeah, that's true, Laura. We, we will investigate an anonymous complaint. However, we can't go back to the complainant to get more information. And oftentimes, anonymous complaints don't result in the intention or the hope that I think they were filed under because we only have so much information to work with. Right. And so the board's website for our listeners use is nursing.iowa.gov. That's N-U-R-S-I-N-G.I-O-W-A.G-O-V. And you would look up the enforcement slash discipline tab under which there is a link to file a complaint. And that is an online system. You can fill out as much information as you can. And that system also allows individuals to attach documents to support the complaint that they are filing. Doug, we've covered a lot of ground today about the enforcement overview. And I really want to thank you for giving us that information. And I also want to just inform the public that Doug and his other investigative staff are available to give presentations, formal presentations about the topic of enforcement. And you would get a hold of Doug and his staff by looking at the board's website, nursing.iowa.gov, about board staff, and you can look them up there, email or call them if you would like to have this presentation given to your staff or your students. So, Doug, we've covered a lot of ground today about all things enforcement and the enforcement overview for the Iowa Board of Nursing. I thank you for your time, and I thank you that um, you give this important information to the public. Thanks for having me here, Laura. You can listen to the board's podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon. Look us up under Nursing Sound Reports. You can reach us on our website as well, nursing.iowa.gov. Thanks for joining us today.